Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, the Ghostbusters return to the big screen in one of the biggest fantasy book series ever makes its TV debut on Prime, The Wheel of Time. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I saw one of the best movies of the year this week and one of the worst. I'll review the glorious Belfast and the regretful Red Notice. Plus, last week we had a preview. This week, a review of Rocky IV, Rocky vs. Drago, the ultimate director's cut. But first, a new trailer for the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home came out this week. When you botched that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. Hello, Peter. You're not Peter Parker. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Dr. Otto Octavius. <laughs> Wait, no, seriously, what's your actual name? So this trailer continues the story of the first trailer. I guess they're really laying out the story in advance. Through his bungling, Peter Parker has accidentally turned Doctor Strange's spell into a, a portal of some sort that's letting in Spider-Man villains come through from other worlds. In the movie, that would be other universes. For us, the audience, it means other franchises. There are others out there. We need to send them back. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. So, Doctor Strange, the master of the mystical arts, has decided that Peter Parker and his high school friends, MJ and Ned, should be the ones to fix this universal problem, even though he's far more qualified. Okay. The headline here, though, is that we get a look at some of the old villains from those old movies, including the Green Goblin from the first Spider-Man, as well as the Sandman from Spider-Man 3 and the villains from the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie, The Lizard and Electro. What's missing, though, is those other Spider-Men being Tobey Maguire and Garfield. However, as you would imagine, the nerds took a fine-tooth comb to this trailer, and they found some interesting things. There's a part where the lizard is flying through the air when all of a sudden his head snaps to the side as though he's been punched but nothing has punched him. That's led people to probably correctly believe that one of the other Spider-Men punched him and the studio people digitally deleted him from the trailer so as not to spoil what they probably wrongly believe will still be a surprise at this point. At any rate, it all looks pretty cool. Spider-Man No Way Home comes out December 17th. Look, there has to be another win. There isn't. They're a danger to our universe. You're not gonna take this away from me. Peter, you're struggling to have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. This is all my fault. I can't save everyone. What's happening? They're starting to come through, and I can't stop them. So what did you think? I, I thought it was fun. I think it looks fun. I, I'm a little bit worried just from other Spider-Man movies, notably Spider-Man 3, that it might be too overstuffed with villains, but uh, I, I guess we'll see. You sort of, on the other hand, MCU does you know pretty good track record with putting a ton of characters in a movie, so uh, I, I, I'll have to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm excited for this. I am very excited, and indeed, it almost seems comical at this point that Sony continues to hide the fact that 
Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in this as the other Spider-Men, it almost just seems like they're messing with us on purpose. Uh, like they're we, they 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 ha- they know that no one thinks or that no one's going to be surprised by that when they finally see them. Yeah. But I guess they're just trying to delay it as much as possible so that when we do finally see it, we'll be that much more excited. So I I sort of respect the you know like they're really playing chicken with uh, the fans on this one. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's good. It's, I mean, it's getting them a lot of buzz, which is actually what they really want, I would think, is, you know, especially it's been more of a, a softer box office here than they would have liked. It's not their fault. That's just the reality of it. So I think they're really trying to build up the hype for uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, and I think it's working. And I, I was kind of hoping they would change the design a little bit for the Green Goblin, but he looks like he's still wearing that Power Rangers mask. But uh, Electro, Jamie Foxx's Electro looks kind of cool. And even there's one scene where he's he's got the, the bolts coming out of his head and he looks sort of like the comic book version of Electro with uh, this sort of electric star face or star mask that he used to wear. So I'm pretty pumped about that because I know you hated The Amazing Spider-Man too. I did. I really hated it. But I think I'll, I'll probably re-watch it because I've pretty... Uh... I know I am. I'm nerdy enough, Brett, that I'm going to rewatch all the Spider-Man movies <laughs> the week before this thing comes out, just so it'll all be, you know, top of mind. All right. So Spider-Man No Way Home, December 17th. Meanwhile, we turn from the big screen to the small screen. Absolutely. Marvel's busy year continues next week with the fourth MCU TV show debuting on Disney+. Plus. It's Hawkeye. This is the first Christmas we've had together in years. I love you guys. I'm making up for some lost time. Authorities are wondering if the masked vigilante who terrorized the city's underworld is back. The past has caught up with me. Should we be worried? No, no, it's nothing. I'll be home for Christmas. I promise. Jeremy Renner reprises the role he's played for years in various Avengers movies in Hawkeye. He's the only one of the main six Avengers not to get his own movie at this point, but he's got his own show, and it debuts Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. As you heard, it's set at Christmas, which is fun because why not have some Christmas material? Iron Man 3 was also set at Christmas, and I think that's it for the MCU at this point, unless I've forgotten something. Now, I don't think Hawkeye is anyone's favorite Avenger, and honestly... I was listening to a really good, funny, in-depth podcast that I can't remember the name of about Renner's ill-fated app from a couple of years ago, and it's kind of hard to take him seriously after listening to that, but the trailer for this looks really fun, I thought. It looks like it's action mystery-oriented and in New York again at Christmas, checking a lot of boxes for me. Haley Steinfeld co-stars as Kate Bishop, another ace archer looking to fight bad guys that Hawkeye takes under his wing, I presume. Vera Farmiga plays her mom. Linda Cardellini returns as Mrs. Hawkeye. And I'm sure we'll see some other familiar faces as well. The MCU shows have been pretty fun, especially the last one, Loki. Hopefully this follows suit. Again, there will be six episodes coming weekly starting Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. You're a Hawkeye. Who the hell are you? Some people have actually called me the world's greatest archer. Are you one of those people? It's the most wonderful. Hey, babe, I should be back in a day or two. Hang on a second. With the kids jingle one time. Things have gotten more complicated. Time 
Coming up next, Jeff Braun reviews what he says is one of the best films of 2021. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the Oscar race is officially on with the release last week of Kenneth Branagh's new film, Belfast. We all have a story to tell, but what makes each one different is not how the story ends, but rather the place where it begins. Can you does this mean that girl have a future? Why the heck not? You know she's a Catholic. And you call me here? Yes! You know who you are. Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. They look so the whole family looks out for you. Be good, son. If you can't be good, be, be careful. careful. And that thought will keep you safe. Looking to cleanse the community. You wouldn't want to be the old man out in the street. You touch my family and I'll kill you. Was that our side that done all that? There is no our side and their side in our street. Well, there didn't used to be anyway. Belfast is set in Belfast, Northern Ireland in 1969. The troubles have begun with rioting and violence and intimidation between the Catholics and Protestants. The story is about a Protestant family as they deal with the new reality when the fight literally comes to their street. It's a street that up until now had been very peaceful. The neighbors all knew each other and got along regardless of religion. And the kids played soccer in the street and life was very pleasant. Angry mobs torching buildings and exploding cars soon put an end to that, and blockades go up, soldiers move in, gangs from one side or the other declare, if you're not with us, you're against us, when the fact is most people would rather not take sides and would like to keep living in peace. The family in question is comprised of a mom and dad, played by Katrina Balfey, who was Christian Bale's wife in Ford vs. Ferrari, and Jamie Dornan, who co-starred with Emily Blunt in this year's Wild Mountain Time, but is probably more well-known for being the gray and 50 shades of gray his parents are played by judy gench and kieran hines more on them in a bit and they have two kids a teenage boy and a younger boy about nine who is the star of the movie he's played by jude hill in his first ever movie and whoever's responsible for finding this kid and casting him deserves a medal because he's fantastic the movie is told through his point of view so we are spared a lot of long speeches about the various factions involved in the fighting and why and all of that the movie's mostly in black and white and even though the kid is a lot of questions about what's going on kids worlds tend to be mostly black and white so it's an apt metaphor to shoot the movie like that unless of course Brana just did it because he casts the 50 shades of gray guy in it anyways i don't think that was why actually there are some color sections as well and notably they're usually when the kid is watching tv or movies or plays in other words escaping from his surroundings into a fantasy land now a mostly black and white movie about the troubles in northern ireland sounds very serious and indeed there are some tense scenes and some violence but it's mostly a very pleasant movie about nice kind people the biggest conflict other than the rioting is the family trying to decide if they should stay or not our young hero young buddy wants to stay in belfast because everyone knows him and he's in love with a little girl from school. It's kind of adorable. The parents, of course, are quite concerned for their safety, the kids' safety, that is, and would rather not raise their kids in a war zone. But even still, especially for mom, you know, there's that thing that Belfast is their home and home is home and we need to stay. And then all these heavier dramatic scenes are blended in with much lighter scenes about the family and the kids. It's sweet. It's funny. It's very touching. You root for everyone, and that's a fun way to spend 90 minutes. That's a good thing, by the way. This movie's only an hour and a half long. You especially root for Grandma and Grandpa. Again, it's Judy Dench and Kieran Hines, both of whom are always 
wonderful in whatever they're in. Grandpa's advice to Buddy on a variety of matters, but especially math was the highlight of the film for me. Again, both very funny, but also very touching. And I mean, Judy Dench, you know, she's always threatening to act everyone else right out of the movie. And she has some ter terrific dramatic moments in the second half of Belfast. The movie looks terrific. Black and white always looks great. Everything is just sharper and more defined. And Kenneth Brown is a gifted filmmaker, of course. And he really delivers some artistic flourishes in the camera work and the overall look of the film. It's a special film. I'll be shocked if it doesn't get nominated for a dozen Oscars and doesn't win a few. And at the end of the movie at the screening I was at, everyone broke out into applause, which is a very rare thing. But this movie deserves it. Four and a half coach cushions out of five for Belfast, Brett. And if you want to check out some uh, Jamie... Dorman, pardon me, some of Jamie Dornan's other work. He was a bad guy. He played a killer or a stalker in a show called The Fall. So he was the bad guy. Gillian Anderson was the cop who was chasing him. Three seasons, short seasons, but a super fascinating show. Uh, the whole cat and mouse thing is really, really good. And if you have BritBox, you can get that. I always forget that that's yet another streaming service that is just chock full of amazing programming. So that might I've be I've literally worth... never heard of it until this very moment. Really? Yeah. Yeah, one of our colleagues who is always recommending British shows this and British shows that. I'm like, hey, have you signed up for BritBox yet? And uh, she said, no. She didn't know it was a thing either. So uh, that's something maybe worth looking into. I don't know what it costs or anything like that, though. But this sounds great, man. Four and a half couch cushions out of five for Belfast. Right on. He So he didn't pop on the screen in uh, Kenneth Branagh and do a uh, Russian accent like he did in Tenet? No, he did not, nor did he uh, break into a Shakespeare musical number like he's done in Love's Labor's Lost or anything <laughs> like that. It's a, he was weirdly absent from his own movie. He's a, compl he's a good actor. I would have thought that he would have... You know, gave himself a bit part as like the guy running a store or something down the street. But no, he's not there. All right. Here's one that is definitely not going to make an appearance at the Oscars. Unless, maybe visual effects. I remember Revelations. And I looked as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. Judgment Day. Raise a call. I'm calling about what happened in New York. There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. Oh my God. What is happening here? My grandfather was a ghostbuster. Something was coming and he knew it. I think we opened the gates of hell. Hey, have you missed us? Ghostbusters Afterlife. Have you missed us indeed? That was the question for the longest time because we've been, I think the first teaser trailer for this movie came out two years ago because it was supposed to debut in summer 2020. So we've been sitting on this one and wondering, are the original Ghostbusters going to be in this or is it just going to be these kids? And uh, they're in it. Have you seen any of their, their the press tour they've been doing? Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson? I saw a photograph, but I, I didn't uh, get to read the article or click on the link or whatever it was. So so they are in it. Uh, are are Tommy McGuire and Andrew Garfield in it as well? <laughs> here are the three of them on uh, Jimmy Fallon. People have been trying to get you guys together to reunite for a long time. Why, why now? 
Jason Reitman wrote a great script, so full of heart, and going right back to the first two movies and its DNA and its heart and soul. And we just read it and thought, you know, this is this is the right time, and uh, and this is the right way to do it. So Jason is the son of the original director Ivan Reitman, and Jason's made some great movies on his own, and he had his own take on because he grew up as a child of the Ghostbusters, sort of in a way. He um. He had something he thought would work as a good story, and we all agreed that it, he, he right. got it. Yeah. Do you remember him as a kid on set? He was a pain in the ass. Oh. <laughs> Wait a second. Oh, my he, God. He was directing back then. <laughs> only got about 20 seconds left here, Jeff, but uh, 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. So what? It'll be fun. Yeah? I think so. Yeah, Why same not? here. Same here. I got I to gotta see this. I still need to see The Eternals, and now I need to go see Ghostbusters Afterlife as well. The movies are starting to pile up. I'm, I, I got so used to not going to the movies for so long that I can't seem to get back into the <laughs> habit. But uh, this one, I think, will pull me back into the movie theater. And in a moment, we're going to tell you about a movie that you should stay away from maybe far, far away on Netflix. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Red Notice is a new movie that is available on Netflix, and that is the introduction it deserves. I want you to help me catch the most wanted art thief in the world, the bishop. Hello, boys. It's so nice to finally meet you in person. She's going to steal Cleopatra's eggs. They're priceless. If we catch her together, I can clear my name, and I'll help you become the number one thief in the world again. Lift with your neck. Even if I did partner up with you, you still only have one brain. Netflix and The Rock, one of the stars of Red Notice, have been bragging this week about how the movie's the number one movie the streaming service has ever released. And that may very well be the case. Or it may not. Netflix releases its own numbers, and I'm pretty sure they can present them in the way that looks the best for them. It is definitely the only thing worth bragging about because this movie is one of the most inert things I've ever seen. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of action, and the plot chugs forward at all times, but it's just so bland that it feels like you're standing still. I saw some review blurbs that called it vanilla, and that's just not fair to vanilla. I mean, you can get ice cream and cake and cookies with vanilla flavor, and they're delicious and make you smile from the inside. Red Notice is room temperature tap water, Brett. So let's get into it. It's an action comedy starring The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. The Rock is a cop. The other two are thieves. And each character is exactly what you would expect. They are the same as they are in most every other movie they're in. And there's no character development. The Rock is a big hulking giant who smashes a lot of stuff. Reynolds is a wisecracking smart aleck who's good in a fight. And Gal Gadot is a femme fatalish butt kicker as well. The plot surrounds this search for some ancient decorated large eggs, not Fabergé eggs, but something similar. The hunt takes them to different corners of the globe where they fight each other and other random bad guys. For much of the movie, The Rock and Ryan Reynolds are forced to team up, even though Reynolds doesn't want a partner and The Rock doesn't like him. Uh, you know, they get to a place, they crack some skulls, and Gal Gadot shows up, and so it goes until the end where there's a big twist that makes no sense, and you turn off the TV with a very hollow feeling where your soul should be. It's all very trite and cliche. There's just not an original bone in this movie's body. Uh, it's what I would imagine would happen if you wrote like an artificial intelligence computer program and got it to write screenplays. It would spit out a hundred pages titled Red Notice and just be this. So, and, and if you take out the variety of henchmen and the other fight scene fodder, there's just like, there's like six people in this whole movie. The three leads, a government agent who's tracking them, and maybe two other bad guys that they try to steal from. So that's kind of bizarre. 
Um, Universal was supposed to release this movie in theaters, but I guess after they watched it, they said, nah, Netflix, you can keep this one for yourself. Thanks. <laughs> and it does feel like a, a Netflix movie. You know, it fits the basic requirements to technically be called a motion picture, but it puts no effort into trying to be anything more. God forbid they try to do something memorable, show something that we haven't seen before, or maybe try to stir the emotions of the audience to the point we might care what happens to anyone on the screen. But no, it's just there. Plot happens, and then it ends. It's rated PG-13. <laughs> and I think the most effort they put into this movie was to make sure it was obviously a PG-13 movie. They use the one F-bomb they're allowed, and then they say the S-word about 200 times. And I'm sorry, no one talks like that. People either don't swear at all, they swear occasionally, or if they swear a lot, you know, they tend to pepper the F-bomb throughout their conversations quite a bit. <laughs> In Red Notice, everyone swears a lot, but just the S word every 10 seconds, never the F word. So I don't mind swearing in movies, but not like this when it's like, this is so unrealistic. It's just distracting. Um, <laughs> the one thing I will give the movie is that it does have some laughs. Ryan Reynolds does his thing that he always does. And some of the jokes landed with me. I watched this movie with five other people though, and they didn't laugh at all. So maybe it was just me, but you don't need me to tell you, you already know whether or not you think Ryan Reynolds is funny. And again, he's the same in here in red notice as he is anywhere else the budget for the movie was apparently 200 million dollars which blows my mind if you're if you're going to spend that much on special effects and the like i don't know spend another five million passing the script around to hollywood script doctors who might make it more interesting invest at the beginning not at the end in conclusion this movie is a turd but i mean it's on netflix so if you have that you can try it for free and you know, unlike me, you don't have to watch it to the end if it's not up your alley. I will give Red Notice one and a half couch cushions out of five, Red. Oh, my goodness. You know what? I am so glad this movie exists just for the last four and a half minutes. This <laughs> review is one of the best things I have ever heard. <laughs> Vanilla makes you smile from the inside. <laughs> Uh, Look, if you have to watch the crappy movies, you should at least have fun when you're taking them down, right? Yeah, for sure. That's That really is too bad. And once again, disappointment from a Netflix movie. And one of my buddies yeah. is determined to enjoy this. He, he said, I'm, I'm, he's going to watch Red Notice. This is my buddy Mike. And I said, well, it's not getting the best reviews, dude. And he's like, ah, audience reviews are good. And uh I think it looks fun. It's going to be fun. Like, okay, well, hey, go ahead. Like, if you if you enjoy it, superb. I was just going to say, if people can get some enjoyment out of it, power to them. Yeah. As well, the Netflix disappointment with its movies, for example, Extraction, that Chris Hemsworth movie, that yeah. movie, it did try some things that were different. Like, it had uh, a really crazy one-shot action scene that went on for a few minutes, and it was... Mind-blowing. And then there was a Ryan Reynolds movie. Was it called Six Underground? And that was, yes. was a, a Michael Bay movie. And while it was a silly movie, some of the action in that movie is among the best I've ever seen. So there are some Netflix movies that do some things right, but both of those movies were in the end still just, they left me feeling a little hollow. But Underground 6 is also, you know, it's a Michael Bay movie and he's an established filmmaker and they do that sort of thing. You know, they've got better success with that. Like they got, you know, they got a Martin Scorsese movie. They got a bunch of Oscar nominations and they had the that uh, Alfonso Cuaron movie that won some actual Oscars, Roma. Yeah. So every now and then they can tap into a, like an A-plus director, filmmaker of some sort who deliver a good movie for them. But it's just these other ones that are just, they're just so 
they all feel like they're just two thirds of a movie. Like they just didn't bother finish writing the movie before they started making it or something. Now I almost want to watch it just out of sheer curiosity, <laughs> which is the There's opposite that. of what your review is trying to accomplish. But uh, <laughs> I might give it a shot. I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious now. You, you got to watch. You got to catch watch to the end so you can uh, catch that sweet, sweet uh, twist that they came up with. That makes no sense. Oh, perfect. Even better. <laughs> hey, we also got to mention this. Speaking of streaming, beginning this weekend on Amazon Prime Video, the TV adaptation of a mega popular series of fantasy books from Robert Jordan, The Wheel of Time. Swear your oath, Moraine Sedai. I swear to speak no word that is not true, to make no weapon with which one person may kill another, and never to use the one power as a weapon. Do you know what Aes Sedai means in the old tongue? Servants of all. It is they who serve the world. So this is originally planned as a six-book series. The Wheel of Time spanned 14 books, first one in 1984, the last one in 2013. Over 90 million copies of these books have been sold, and I don't know a lick about any of it, except that people who read the books loved the books. So I'm just going to give you a couple of things from Wikipedia. Before I do that, though, Jeff, have you read any Wheel of Time books? No, I have, but weirdly enough, I have uh, purchased several of them because I had a friend who was really into them. And every year for Christmas, we used to buy just like $15 Christmas gifts for each other. And I'd always buy her the Wheel of Time book if there was one out. And so it was an easy gift given there, but I've never actually read them. And it looks complicated and I'm a little bit hesitant to you know, dive into a whole new world of mythology and all that sort of things. Like my brain is still full from Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones. Well, and especially like 14 books like that. That is a huge, I can't imagine this thing going that long. Uh, And even to get it right, you would probably have to go beyond 14 seasons. So I don't know. This is a bold step from Amazon, but just a couple of notes from the Wikipedia page. Cause like I said, I don't know anything about this. The series is set in an unnamed world that, due to the cyclical nature of time as depicted in the series, is simultaneously the distant past and the distant future Earth. The Randlands, or the world of the wheel, are names adopted by fans to refer to the world where the wheel of time takes place and are derived from the name of the central character, as well as a section of the companion book, The World of Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. <laughs> Um, look, I'm already confused. Yeah, so am I. And and we're not mocking it. Like, it's just, it is no. a lot to dive into yeah. any fantasy universe. And this one sounds gigantic. And I got to be honest, the trailers haven't been doing it for me. Like, normally I get excited about this stuff, but I'm curious, but I'm not excited. Yeah, and I wonder, it's hard to tell because, you know, I read The Lord of the Rings before the movies came out, so... I had like the baseline knowledge of what was going on ahead of time. Whereas if I had just watched those movies cold with never having read the books, I'm I'm a little convinced that I would have had a pretty hard, difficult time following it to oh, the yeah? degree that I could. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm not saying they were that hard to follow, but you just there's just a level of detail you get from the books that they can't always that you sort of fill in some of the blanks in the movie when you're watching it. You know what I mean? That's fair. I think that how did, what did I, I watched Lord of the Rings fellowship of the ring. And then I read the books. 
So, yeah, I watched the three, or I read the three books in between Lord of the Rings, oh, Fellowship, and then The Two Towers. So that was interesting. Uh, in a moment, we got to give you a review of a movie that was hoping to deliver a knockout blow. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Last week, we had some consternations as to whether it would even be available in Canada. And for a while on Friday morning, we thought... Maybe it's not, because we just couldn't find it anywhere. But eventually, I found it on Google Play. Rocky Four, Rocky versus Drago, the ultimate director's cut. Russia will now throw its hat into the ring. I've seen this Drago fight. Drago is a super athlete. I know I can beat him. Hey, Paolo, look, maybe the show is over. You've got nothing more to prove. He thinks he's fighting for the whole country, but his reasons are wrong. I'm asking, as a friend. Stand in my corner. Just this one last time. I should add, they spelled it Rocky, R-O-C-K-E-Y, not R-O-C-K-Y. So maybe that's why I couldn't find it. Uh, And I have no idea why they did that. I'm not going to say this is better or worse than the original, because it's not really fair of me to make that comparison. Rocky IV, the original, it's a movie I've seen a hundred times. I love it and all of its cheesy 80s glory. I know it's not the best Rocky movie, but I just don't care. It's my favorite. I grew up watching this. I saw it in theaters when I was eight years old. And as far as I'm concerned, Rocky Balboa versus Ivan Drago is the best fight ever. So instead, I will say that the ultimate director's cut is a solid companion piece because it's a completely different film. When they marketed that they've added 40 minutes of never-before-seen footage. And even Stallone says it's not quite that much. Um, But they didn't just add that footage into the existing film. They also cut a bunch of footage. So it's still only an hour and a half, like the original. So this is a totally different movie. And I don't want to get into too many specifics on what they've added, what they've taken out. But I will confirm Polly's robot, gone. And I'll also, yeah, the robot is gone. I'll also say that what they've done is they've made this movie more serious. They've made this more about the warrior's code and the reasons why it was so important for Apollo to not only take the fight with Drago, but to not quit, even though he knew he was going to lose once that fight got going. So they did re-edit that fight a little bit. Some of the changes in that fight were good. Some of them didn't really care for them. Apollo's funeral scene had entirely different dialogue. They also recut the Rocky and Drago fight somewhat. Stallone says he didn't like the number of whiff punches that made it into the movie, so it is tighter in that sense. But they changed the sound scheme. In the original, when they hit each other, it sounds like they're hitting each other with sandbags or something. In the new one, it sounds more realistic, I guess? Less cartoonish? I hate that! I want the original! Like, here's what the original sounded like. And here's the new one. Balboa is tapping the Russian down. So, yeah, I, I just, I guess listen, after listening to it this closely, it's not as bad, but I loved the cartoonish sounds from the uh, original Rocky Four. And I will say this, though, that seeing this movie that I've seen so often, to see it in, like, Super HD and the sound completely remastered. Um, 
it, it's like the movie was made yesterday, and it was pretty surreal. So that was cool. Also, in the version I watched, I rented it from, as mentioned, Google Play. Watched it on my YouTube app on my smart TV. The Russian dialogue during the fight wasn't even there. And then instead, when I later skimmed through the whole thing again, it popped up at random during the news conference between Apollo and Drago. So clearly a massive glitch of some sort. That was disappointing and frustrating because I ended up pausing the movie. I was trying to Google to remember what Drago said because it looked and, or to, and to see if I could find the updated transcript because they added a couple of lines in his dialogue. And that's probably the best change they made. They humanized Drago a bit more. Just a couple of slight Subtle touches. They gave him a few extra words of dialogue and, he, and some facial expressions and other moments that indicated he didn't want to be just the big red propaganda machine. And there was even a moment where he stops and he looks down at Rocky. And the impression I got was that it almost seemed like he wanted to say he was sorry to Rocky for the way that his people were behaving as though he respected Rocky. I don't know if that's what was going on, but that's what I took away from it. And um, even in the final fight, couple of extra little beats for Drago that show just how surprised he is at Rocky's endurance. So when he says, to the end, at the beginning of that final round, it actually seemed more respectful. I always took it as a taunt. Although that could be that because when I was a kid, I always thought he was saying, you're dead, not to the end. Because <laughs> he kind of says, kind of says, to the okay. end. Um, I don't know. He was a stupid kid. So yeah, the changes made in this film for the Drago character dovetail nicely into the events of Creed 2. And don't worry, the montages remain intact. But all the cheesy 80s crap that borders those montages is largely gone. So at, at the very least, it was an interesting and unique way to revisit a story I know and love so well. It's just a completely different version of that same story. So if you got to pick just one to watch... Watch the original. I'm going to give Rocky four. Rocky versus Drago, the ultimate director's cut. Three and a half couch cushions out of five. And that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.